Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker, as always, Chris Evans. Hello. And we have some special guests with us. We have the co-directors of the one, the only, Kino Sydney, Brian Fisher and Christina Morass. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having Thanks. us. So we're very keen to talk about all things Kino. There is only one happening around town. We will also be talking later in the program about a few big pieces of news in the film world. Ethan Hawke getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah, um, keep on criticizing superhero films, Mr. Hawke. And getting a new fan from Chris Evans here. Well, I think we all were Ethan Hawke fans, but probably maybe more so now. Yeah. Yep. And we have... So that subject is done and dusted. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> we also be talking about the big news in my original favorite film franchise, James Bond, when I was a very little kid. Danny Boyle leave, departing yeah. the series. And um, big deal. Continuing the trend of safe choices, lack of risk-taking as we'll get into talking about. But before we do that, what is your current favorite film series? You've got me curious now. Oh, dear. That's very, very difficult. I was thinking long and hard about this because I have a soft spot for Fast and Furious, but there's a few really weak entries there. Um, Star Wars, I have always adored. Um, What has popped up around the Star Trek universe? You know, actually, you know what? Maybe James Bond is still my favorite. There's a lot. I think so. I've never heard you be a fanboy over anything else other than James Bond when it comes to movies. Yeah, I'm. So I will be when this. Uh, I sit there every time, following all the news. I get excited for the James Bond tours when George Lane's in by and all of them. Back in the day, Roger Moore would come to the Orpheum and talk about the good old days. So hopefully, we'll have that again next year. Yep, it's definitely James Bond. It's definitely James. Yeah, I think it's James Bond. Okay. We're, not, we're not talking about James Bond. We are talking about <laughs> Kino Sydney. There yep. is only one Kino Sydney. I was very fortunate enough to discover Kino last year and get involved. And I mean, have, and having a great ball, a great time going back to the monthly screening, sometimes more than that. And I have to thank Chris for introducing me because I know Chris has been going for a lot longer and is a stalwart of Kino. And yeah, I've been attending regularly for the last five years or so now. Yeah, it's it's a really special thing. So it's great to have you guys on the show. So can you tell us, first of all, Kino Sydney for the uninitiated, what is it? Well, before we talk about Kino Sydney, we might just talk about Kino as a global movement, which started in 1999 in Montreal, when the story goes, might be a bit of a legend, but it's a good story, so we won't let the truth get in the way. It is uh, about a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of filmmakers who feared the end of the world thanks to the Y2K bug uh, and for those of you too young to remember that, it was a bug that was threatening global apocalypse destruction because apparently programmers didn't have the foresight to think of the date 2000, and that was going to cause all sorts of problems. So anyway, the end of the world was going to happen, and so these filmmakers in Montreal decided, what are we going to do? Let's just keep making short films until the end of the world. The end of the world didn't happen, so they kept on making films, and from there... Chapters of Kino started spreading uh, you know, across America and Europe and Asia and eventually down to Australia in 2006 when Kino Sydney opened up um, and uh, has gone through a few uh, different uh, um, changes in leadership and uh, Christina and I are here in 2018 um, to um, take it into uh, bigger and better places into the future. Yeah. Keep carrying the flame. Yeah. So. Kino is something unusual in the short filmmaking scene. Can you guys tell us a bit about that? Yes. Um, Christine, do you want to mention anything about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it's essentially an open mic night for films. 
Um, so everyone's welcome to screen their films, no matter how big the budget or little the budget was. Um, it could be made in one day or it could have been made in two weeks. Um, but we're a nice, knit, tight-knit community. Um, we're all are welcome. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I really like about Kino is that it even um, when it comes to larger-scale film productions, it can be hard to find a place to get them screened. And Kino makes gives you a place where you're guaranteed an audience. Yeah. Well, not all films are festival films. That's right. And what I find fascinating, I want to be curious to hear from your perspective too, is that perhaps people who would participate in Kino would it be the seasoned filmmakers, would it be um, people with a little bit of experience, would it be people with uh, little to no experience at all? Yeah, we're pretty diverse in the range of, ex- of experiences in our audiences. Um, yeah, we're really here to attract uh, yeah seasoned professionals, novices, um, um, people young and old. Um, I guess people who haven't made films much before are usually those uh, younger. But um, like just at our last screening, we had someone. I think he might have been in his fifties. I don't want to you know say, but uh, he he hadn't made a film before and screened it at Kino, and that was really really good to see. And I really I, I really value that about Kino, um, that it's some it's a place where yeah, anyone can come along and screen a film and it's not about competition that's something really important to emphasize it's not about competition um that uh it's 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 not about winning a prize it's about people you know making something for the intrinsic value of being creative you know yeah that's what i really love about it because film i think um like i was saying before there's so many barriers because it's a commercial medium in a lot of people's view so I think Kino takes the focus to being just about pure creation and the joy of showing something to other people. Um, going back to talking about what we saw at the last Kino, um, there was a whole scale of different kind of productions from a really innovative edit of someone's travel videos um, that yep. I, I thought, I that yeah, that sort of blew my mind in how creative he got with, you know, really something that was made with no resources at all, just a guy with a camera, um, all the way up to something that was made by somebody who had clearly like quite a bit of experience and some connections to make a very professional little film that was also really surprisingly good, Um, better than a lot of the stuff that I think screens at festivals. But since Kino covers, you know, the whole spectrum of short filmmaking, um, I think it really takes away some of the fear for a lot of people, it um, there is amazing stuff and there's not so amazing stuff. But in that environment, there isn't judgment because it's non-competitive. Totally, yeah. yeah. So I think it encourages people, like the guy in his fifties you mentioned, to take their first footsteps into filmmaking. Mm. Yeah, and that kind of reflects my own experience of of Kino, which started in uh, twenty fourteen. Um, I'd had gone to one Kino screening before that, but I actually submitted my own film in 2014 during a cabaret event, which is a 48-hour filmmaking challenge. Um, and I had a real hankering to make a film, and you know, I was kind of stuck in my daily job and, and felt myself being in a real creative rut. And so um, found out about the cabaret and, yeah, met up on the Friday night, met a bunch of fantastic um, actors, directors, cinematographers, editors, and just creative enthusiasts and was able to smash out a, um, a film over the next couple of days and, and that 
and there was so much energy in that in that um, that community there. Um, yeah, which is why I've been a part of it ever since. Yeah. The the cabaret events are fantastic. I think um, the first time I went to one of those was in 2013, and some of the people I met there I'm still friends with. You, it really I think it creates a community of like-minded people. Um, and when it comes to the practicalities of filmmaking, it also gives you a bunch of people who you know are building their skill, um, who you can rely on to collaborate with. Because I know a lot of people would like to make films, but don't know um, anybody who could help them out, who share this kind of vision. And I think that's what's great about Kino. It brings people together. Yeah. There's a lot of skill sharing and knowledge scare, uh, sharing um, that goes with that. And and it also encourages you to to step out of your comfort zone every now and then. Like I'm traditionally someone who likes to be behind the camera, but in 2014, um, one of the uh, the filmmakers there said, "Hey, do you, I've got this idea for a film. Uh, I'd like you to be the lead in the film." And I just closed my eyes and went, "Yep, short, right, whatever it is, let's let's do it." And uh, I think Chris, you actually shot a few scenes of that, yep, that yep. <laughs> film, um, which was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I, it's something I hadn't done before was getting in front of a camera and acting, and it was a lot of fun and a bit scary as well, but good. How many films did you both make during? I was there. Um, I got to say, I was doing an afters course at the time, and I think I learnt more in the course of that weekend than I may yeah. have within a week of the course. It was, it, it was incredible just to be. I've also and have a diversion being in front of the camera, but I got to make be behind the camera in front of it, working a few films. But how many films did you each work on over the course of that weekend? You mean last year at twenty seventeen? Yes. Yeah. Um, gosh, I can't remember how many films were produced last year, but um, Josh, do you remember, Christine? Do you remember how many films were made? At least ten, uh, probably yeah. m- m- more. Um, it was a lot. It was quite a yeah. lot, and surprising how much you can churn out over a weekend, and and. You might turn up with just like one like kernel of an idea, and and you know you meet someone else who who will contribute to that. Like last year, I went to the cabaret event in Melbourne because there's a keynote chapter in Melbourne as well. So there's two in Australia, Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and on the flight down to Melbourne, I was scribbling down a few ideas for a short film, and met up with someone down there, and and they were like, "Hey, I've got." heaps of ideas for dialogue. So he just sat there and smashed out all this dialogue while I sorted out the shots for the film and, yeah, gathered up some actors and, yeah, made a really, really good film at the end. Making films in that kind of way isn't unusual for Kino. Kino Cabaret especially um, is really madness in the best possible way because there's so many um, standards for quality go right down. Um, But it's more about how much you can do and the fun of working together. When I say standards for quality go right down, I mean, you could be surprised, but <laughs> it's it takes away the um, the desire for perfection because I think when people, um, people don't have models for kind of um, lowest entry levels in uh, filmmaking in the way that you might in terms of songwriting or drawing, and I think this scares a lot of people from trying you know, um, that's what I think is so great about the idea of an open mic night for filmmaking. Um, yeah, anyway, I'd encourage anyone who is interested in filmmaking but has never really put their toes in, especially to try out Kino Cabaret, because th- that will get the creative gears moving. 
And I'm curious, I know we touched on uh, Brian, and also I mentioned, I've disclosed my own story, but I'm very curious how everyone found out about Kino and first initially got involved in the first place. Um, well, it came, well, I was working as an intern at Sydney Film Festival in 2008, and a lot of the crew there would go to Kino every month. And yeah, I think I, I, I think I only, I ended up attending some of them, but then I didn't go for a, a few years. And then about two years ago, I ended up submitting a film that I'd shot on my, during a trip in New York. And then since then, I was like meaning to come back, but I just, I really, I lack motivation. <laughs> so <laughs> part of my way of getting back into Kena was like, all right, well, I'm going to now start helping out in making Kena happen. And that will encourage me to make more films. And that's my little journey to Kena. It's kind of like a book club. You know, you go every month and like you're committed <laughs> yeah. to being part of this or a part of that. Yeah. And which should. And you're, you've got other people expecting to see you back. It's, it's and you want to see them, and that's yeah. I think something that helps you get that yeah, motivation. It spurs it on. Yeah. Well, I definitely encourage people to get involved. How do you get involved in Kino? When's the next one? Where do we go? How do we do it? Uh, the next one, well, the screening night is September seventeenth at Sun Studios in Alexandria. Um, but we are hosting a mini Kino cabaret on the 15th at Sun. So. Oh, really? Yeah. The 15th of September? Yes. Yeah. That's right. Interesting. So, what is a mini Kino cabaret? Um, well, it would be a day where you'll come to Sun Studios. Um, there'll be gear provided on the day. Um, and yeah, we'll make something within the day that we can hopefully screen on the Tuesday 17th. One day Kino Cabaret. That's that's a new idea. I yeah. like it. Yeah, well, I think I went. I might have gone to one just in the past month. You did, yes. Yeah, Glenn, you did come to one of those, and um, yeah, that was that was good. And that film is close to being finished. I know that, so we'll have to get that. Up <laughs> okay, there's a. Soon. I learned to, how to use split screen probably for the first time um, doing this. I know. Right, I always right. wondered, and nice. it's, it's it's quite a nifty technique. I'd also like to advertise to our listener in Melbourne. Hi, Sean. Um, we <laughs> there's a. Uh, Kino Cabaret in Melbourne coming up on September 21 to 23rd. Uh, it's called Filmonic over there, so people don't get confused with the Kino cinemas. But yeah, that's one to look forward to if you're Definitely. in Melbourne or able to go to Melbourne. Yeah, last year's Kino um, uh, Cabaret in Melbourne was was fantastic. Uh, they had some international guests last year. They, yeah, they may also they have, have they have some this year. I've heard may, yeah, that's confirmed. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. Um, we'll yes, I'm not sure if we mentioned it already, but we'll have our cabaret in, in November as well. So keep an eye out on our website or Facebook or Instagram um, to find out more details about that. It's pretty great. But I mean, I just a personal anecdote from Kino. I hadn't made a film. I made films in high school, and I made a couple of stop motion shorts some years ago. I hadn't made the film a film in a few years because I hadn't felt the confidence to do so. And I went along, and I had a half idea for a film. And I was terrified to pitch it, and I did. And there was a really nice response, and we ended up making it. It was actually, I think, one of the first ones out of the can. And then we screened it over at Redfern on Sunday. So I still have it. It's about a ghost that's haunted by people. And um, great. <laughs> a bee ghost story yeah. <laughs> from a ghost story. And um, I was, yeah, very, very, very fond of it. So I do recommend you go. Um, yeah, bring your weird ideas. 
Let's have some more experimental films and weirdness at Kino. I always like that. Brian, Christina, thank you so much. And you're going to stay along for uh, the rest of the discussion. We're soon back from the break. But thank you so much for talking all things Kino. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank Thank you. And that was You Know My Name, the standout best James Bond theme song from no. the late, great Chris Cornell. No. Yeah, yes, no. it really is. Are what? you seriously saying now that that's a better song than Nobody Does It Better than Goldfinger? Carly Simon. No, no. no um, yes, absolutely. You, you're superb, very, very you're incorrect Nobody this. Does It I'm Better. I'm going to take is... it to the panel. <laughs> Goldfinger. Yeah, Goldfinger, exactly. Shelley Bassey. Um, I love Shelley Bassey. Like Diamonds are Forever, Moonraker. She wrote some wonderful ones. But oh, I remember the, you only lived twice because I only I always saw that as a kid. That is such yeah, a good yeah. That's yeah. that's an incredible theme, right? Yeah. Like the riff too. just get yeah, oh man. Don't don't get me started. <laughs> the riff just gets stuck in your head, right? Yeah. So I wish I if only we had another member of Film Fight Club who could be here to tell Glenn how wrong he is about this. Yes, um, unfortunately. but I, I can't remember. Uh, oh dear. Yeah, I feel, I feel yeah. like something's <laughs> missing. Something, something just, missing. Yeah. Something, I, someone, someone definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, Virat. Right, it, is it Virat? Is that was that his name? Yeah, he he he's not here. He's he's not really. Well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so last what week, happened there? Well, we announced that it was his birthday last week, and he went on. He had such a crazy birthday. It right. was so nuts. A week later, he's still he's still re- yeah. <laughs> so Virat, uh, we know you're listening. Uh, get better soon, man. Uh, we look forward to your birthday again next year. It's going to be wild. We've been foiled in our efforts at making you an unperson and quietly sweeping you under the rug after not mentioning you in the intro. But uh, <laughs> I guess I guess we'll see if he can forgive us next week. Yeah, I wish he was if here. he turns up. I wish he was here to talk about James Bond. Maybe was... maybe next week we'll quiz him in the intro. Is is how wrong is Glenn <sighs> on a scale of one to ten about you know my name, which I'm... is like fairly forgettable. Middle-of-the-road rock is better than some of the iconic James Bond themes of the 60s and 70s. The Alicia Keys Jack White number from Quantum of Solace was okay. That was, compared to... That was better than the Chris Cornell... No, that was better than the Chris Cornell one. Yeah. I mean, wow. Wow, next year... Yeah, see? The the panel panel has it. Next year, you're going to say, like, Cheryl Crow, Tomorrow Never Dies. That's going to be... That was all right. That was actually... That was good. There's no bad... Except for the writings on the wall, there's no really bad James Bond themes. The Uh, Sam Smith one. The Sam Smith one was really bad, especially it was the when worst one. The Radiohead song that they rejected oh, was really damn. good. It, yeah, Radiohead, yes, really that. good. That yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that just represents the terrible decision making of the producers of the James Bond franchise. Speaking of which, yes, there has been big news in the James Bond film world. Danny Boyle was slated to direct the twenty fifth James Bond film. Daniel Craig returning for his fifth and final outing next year. However, Danny Boyle has departed the project due to, quote, created differences with Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, who are the stalwarts After of the they, series. I'm surprised that they brought him on board in the first place. Yeah, there has never been a director of a James Bond film who is bigger than the franchise. Danny Boyle is bigger than the franchise. Oh, no, Danny Boyle isn't bigger than Bond. He, the only directors who are bigger than Bond these days are maybe James Cameron and Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg. That's about it. Except looking- Quentin Tarantino. He, he was considered to direct oh. Casino Royale a long time ago. But it'd be way He's arguably too, bigger than the franchise. But it'd be way too distinct if it was a director like that. They want someone who will be a caretaker who will just carry the series to the next thing, which is why, Chris, I have to apologize to you because when I read this initially, I saw the headline, the dispute was 
was to, as to whether Danny James Bond would be killed off. And I thought this was a play of Danny Boyle, the person who just breathes into the series. But no, it's the other way around. Danny Boyle apparently did not want it to happen. It was the producers, really? a lot of people involved, who thought that killing off James Bond in, spe- quote, spectacular fashion and maybe, and I'm quoting here, reviving him in a Doctor Who-type fashion might be the way to go. That sounds terrible. Sounds- That's a really bad idea. Um but yeah, apparently Danny Boyle wanted to do something new and unusual with the series, which, you know, I'm sure the words like new and unusual are like nails on a chalkboard to Barbara Broccoli and Eon Productions, given the totally boring way they've been taking the series with films like Spectre, man. Oh, Spectre, Spectre had its moments. I'm glad they titled... Do we have Spectre fans here? I think I like the trailer better than the film. Oh, the you're, you're like a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond, and then yeah. just... Yeah. Shots of Wasn't nice cars. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't like the film that much. Yeah, speaking fan of Skyfall, Bond. I, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say Bond is in a very weird place right now, right? Because we're in the the post Me Too era. Bond is such so uh, such a sixties kind of construct. You know, like this. I, I don't think James Bond has ever been able to get away from its history as a really sort of chauvinist male power fantasy um i think they've they've made attempts to um come to grips with that you know starting with you know having judy dench's m saying you're a dinosaur in goldeneye but i don't think the the movies have ever i think um found a way to balance that out or or recreate who bond is They, they they've made moves in that direction like the more sensitive bond character we have in casino royale in some ways but in other ways there's things in Skyfall like Daniel Craig getting in the shower with a rape victim which are kind of weird yeah I, I, I think, that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. and I that think, was only five years ago right yeah. imagine that that being released now the series doesn't know what direction it wants to go and it is a relic of it's of a for of a bygone era 100%. which they're trying to recreate with nostalgia yeah except it's yeah Skyfall went heavily in the direction of nostalgia the old ways are best. And from the sound of it, Danny Boyle was trying to, with his writing partner, John Hodge, make something, um, who wrote Trainspotting and a lot of other Danny Boyle films. Um, he said he was trying to write something in the present day, um, writing in real time, addressing these kinds of issues like the Me Too movement. Um, I don't know. It, it, to me, that that's the only thing that could get, the only um, direction that could get me excited in a James Bond movie these days. And I think it's sad that they're going back to... By the sound of it, they're going back to something way more traditional because they're going with a script by Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. Yeah, who've which been, he's done it before. Who've written, like, six James Bond movies and a very, I think, like, boring I, I, writers, I would say. I think the only direction they could possibly take it is to make even more loyal to the books at what Casino Royale tried to do and recognize the fact that James Bond is not a nice person. He's not a likable person. As was acknowledged in Quantum of Solace, he has no friends. He's not the person you would want to be friends with. So it's about being loyal to the character, but simply not glamorizing him, which I think is maybe the only direction they could possibly go in. Yeah, but uh, I think something that hard-edged isn't going to get the two hundred million dollar budgets that these seri- this series works on now. I'd like to, when I mean when I hear Danny Boyle, I don't. I think something more small scale using innovative filmmaking techniques. I think I'd be interested in seeing a James Bond movie like that. You know, give it a quarter of the budget, way scaled down espionage thriller, energetic direction, un, you know, a, unusual directions in the script writing. I mean, one of the rumors I heard about this story was that James Bond was in jail for a huge por- portion of the runtime. 
Oh wow, that sounds well, interesting. Well, this happened right? in Die Another Day. Like he spent fourteen months in prison. But if he was, if it wasn't just like skipped over in the opening sequence, it's like Bond is in jail is the plot of the movie. Ah, uh, but people have an expectation when it comes to Bond. They don't want to see. Them well, apart here's from the problem. The here's the problem. And we have we need to do doing that. the shtick well. Yeah, we. But maybe we need to depart from the formula because Bond has gotten old, right? What do you guys think? The keynotes. to address. I think they try to address. Bond as being an essentially sexist kind of a character in the last film um, with Monica Bellucci. Oh, yes, a uh, Spectre. Yeah, with Spectre, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm not really sure how they're going to adapt James Bond. I mean, but yeah, you're right with, like, Mission Impossible. That's that's doing the whole kind of espionage action type film really well at the moment. I went and saw Fallout the other day, and that was really good. Um yeah, I kind of like the idea of Bond being in a jail cell for ages, um, and like kind of building up the suspense, maybe. And then when he gets out, then that's when all the action kind of happens. That would be kind of interesting. That sounds great to me. Opinion? Yeah, I definitely agree with Chris, but more in line with I'm just sick of franchises and how many Marvel films, and they're all the same. And if you just, they could be great if you just went off course. That's exactly how I feel. I think everyone is way too conservative these days when it comes to franchises and the direction of filmmaking in general. Um, I think there's a fear not just of, um, you know, we've invested this much money, we want to go with what sells, but there's also, I think, the belief that, you know, markets like China might, you know, not be bored of the formula. And um, I think, uh, you know, filmmaking is meant to please every single audience you know um it, think, yeah yeah i think james bond is going to struggle into the future i think other franchises may very well take over we'll see because it still has a very strong built-in fan base going back decades and decades so we'll see what happens with that we'll see what happens when they start to die off yes. that's the question <laughs> does the younger generation really have nostalgia for the old style james bond do they care um i think they i think casino royale brought it back I think uh, Skyfall had a lot going for it. I think Spectre, I didn't dislike Spectre as much as, ma- as much as many others, but I think when it had the opportunity to go in many new directions, it very frankly didn't and, subvert- and reverted to trying to test it and less imaginable filmmaking. Going back to what Christine said just that about franchises just being boring, did you hear what Ethan Hawke said? Yes, in the final stay, in the final paragraph of an interview with Film Stage said, and I'm quoting, Now we have a problem that they tell us Logan is a great movie. It's a great superhero movie. It still involves people in tights with metal coming out of their hands. It's not Brisson. It's not Bergman. They talk about it like it is. And and went on to talk about how big business means that uh, they will only promote films like this, which Ethan Hawke is not so much a fan of. I take the view that, you know what, he does a lot of big budget films. He was in the very overrated Valerian last year. so Very say, overrated. <laughs> Not many people thought it was good except for me and Varad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about it in terms of Film Fight Club. Okay. But it's a curious statement for Ethan Hawke to make. <laughs> Look, I think he's in a lot of trashy B-type movies, but he also does great work in films like First Reformed or the Before Trilogy. I think he's a great actor. Um, and I, I think... Yes, he does movies like Daybreakers or Valerian, but I, I don't think his commitment to quality filmmaking should be questioned. I think he's being taken a bit out of context in people responding to this saying, you're saying superhero movies can't be great movies. I don't think he's saying that. I think it's just that most of the time he's right. These are commercial products more than they are extremely high quality films. I'd, I think he's right that Logan wasn't that good. Like, it, yeah, it, it was a good movie, but 
I don't think it deserves to be spoken about in terms as, as a great movie. I think the whole movement to get Black Panther nominated for Best Picture is ridiculous. I uh, mean, Best Most Popular Film. <laughs> uh, no, but apparently yeah. they want it to go for the Best Picture as well. But then again, most of the films that um, that get nominated for Best Picture aren't that good anyway, so it's not like there's much of, uh, real prestige to that. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is that I hate movies. <laughs> <laughs> you had it here first. Well, I think I think Logan was a, it was a really good film, but I guess it's in the context of superhero films. And when you put Logan up against I don't know the X Men films, or you know even you know I didn't mind the latest Avengers film, but even up against that, it's uh, yeah Logan is a it's, it's got far more you know, rich, interesting kind of characters, I guess, and um, in, you know, inter- more interesting stories to tell. Just briefly, I think the context of what Ethan Hawke was saying, if you look at the rest of the interview, is that film festivals are important because they draw attention to smaller, innovative films. And when the conversation otherwise gets dominated by who has the biggest marketing budget, and so something like Logan or Black Panther sucks up a lot of the critical conversation, when maybe it's not as deserving as the level of talk about it would suggest. We'll be back next week talking in some more detail. Boycott Marvel City on the Moon <laughs> Universe. Uh, with the d- director programmer for the Sydney Latin American Film Festival, Giselle. And we'll be talking about Crazy Rich Asians. Just want to quickly mention uh, Kino and uh, uh, teaming up with Giselle um, for a, a short film night happening on the 11th of September uh, in Marrickville. Um, it's about um, it's all films made by um, by women, um, so it's going to be a great night. And this is awesome. A, is this at the Addison Road? Yeah, great venue. Just this is a new and just wonderful, perfect venue in the heart of uh, Sydney's creative district. So please do please do go along. I will be there. Brian, Christina, thank you so much for coming on, and we look forward to the eleventh and the next keynote. Thank you very great, much. Thanks. This has been Glenn Falconson and Chris Evans. And next week for Rotten Roo, have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night.